Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Matthew. Episode 229, recorded for September 20th, 2023, the Cloud Pod's Guide to Gartner's Magic Container Chaos. Good evening, Ryan, Jonathan, and Matt. Hey, Justin. Hola. Good evening. Good evening. It's been another fantastic week in the cloud. Uh, things have been going on. Oracle Open World happened and announced nothing. Uh, well, a couple of things we'll talk about. Uh, and then, you know, there's all kinds of other things going on out there. So we have uh, a little bit of AI content to get to, as uh, every week is now AI, which is reading the cloud pod to the AI pod uh, and uh, go from there. Might have to learn what AI is if we did that. And I don't know if it might be a bridge too far. Might be a bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, some general news. Uh, Red Hat is uh, rebranding OpenStack. Uh, for those of you who remember what OpenStack is, OpenStack is the thing that a bunch of companies thought was a really great idea uh, to replace public cloud uh, by making all the public cloud stuff worse uh, by putting it on-premise in your data center and giving you a sort of crappy API. Uh, and so, uh, you know, to make it clearer, the Red Hat OpenStack platform is now being rebranded to the Red Hat OpenStack services on OpenShift because if OpenStack wasn't complicated enough, we're going to add <laughs> containers to the mix because what could possibly go wrong there? There is a quote here from Sean Cohen, Director of Product Management in Red Hat's hybrid platforms organization. By integrating Kubernetes with OpenStack, organizations see improved resource management and scalability, greater flexibility across the hybrid cloud, simplified development and DevOps practices, and more. Uh, Holger Mueller, I had to say that uh, only people who are really using OpenStack is telecommunications companies, uh, where they use it to build private clouds to run their networks. And I'll be adding telecommunication companies to my resume for places not to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still stuck on the name. Like, that's what they rebranded to? Like, you know, Red Hat is the king of taking open source software and making a product out of it. No problem there. But, uh, and no, no difference with, with OpenStack. It's kind of strange to me that, like, they're merging these two things. I've never really understood OpenShift, so I can't really explain. I mean, OpenShift is just like Convox. It's a platform on top of Kubernetes mm -hmm. and, a, and a fancy developer portal. And so then you get, now you add to that OpenStack. Well, so, so OpenStack, <laughs> which is also can leverage Kubernetes and deploy and manage your containers, um, as well as bare metal and virtual machines. Like I, I get why they combine them from that standpoint, but it is sort of like, huh? Let's throw as many things in the puzzle that I don't want to deal with. And this is the product. All right. Well, enough about OpenStack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Those idea are... of OpenStack, but, but it's just, I also like the idea of not having to manage infrastructure. So it really has mm -hmm. no place for me in my, my world. Yeah. Unless I was like, heavily invested in a data center and with all the hardware and was really into refreshing that every three to five years. You'd think your prior employer would be really into it. They really like data centers. I think they'd be into OpenStack. Oh, they, they're very much into OpenStack. <laughs> oh, <are laughs> they they? okay. Technical blog post about said things. And it was something I worked on when I was there for sure. Ah, got it. All right, well, uh, let's move on to AWS, who's expanding access to safer AI with your Amazon uh, company. Uh, this uh, article is actually from Anthropic, who just got a billion, a $4 billion investment from Amazon. The agreement is part of a collaboration to develop the most reliable and high-performing foundation models in the industry. 
And as part of the agreement, AWS will become Anthropic's primary cloud provider for mission-critical workloads, providing their team with access to leading compute infrastructure in the form of AWS Trainium and inferential chips, which will be used in addition to existing solutions for model training and deployments. Together, they'll also be collaborating on future Trainium and inferential technology, which will make them better. Uh, based on AWS customer demand for Claude, Anthropic will expand their support for Amazon Bedrock, and you'll be able to use Claude as a Claude and Claude Two as a first-party uh, LLM inside of Bedrock. Amazon and Anthropic are also committed to safe training and deployment of advanced foundational models, and Amazon will get a minority stake in Anthropic. So four billion dollars only gets you a minority stake. Oof. And uh, I guess the question to you guys is: Has Amazon found their open AI? Definitely. Yeah, but it sort of begs the question of if Microsoft hadn't partnered with OpenAI, would Amazon have partnered with them first? Or, you know, is this like, a, is this a reaction to the Microsoft OpenAI deal? Or is this what they actually wanted and kind of planned all along? I don't know. I do like what they're building, though. Claude is, Claude is um, totally different than ChatGPT in the way it's trained and the way it works. And it solves a lot of the problems that, that um, ChatGPT has right now around sort of uh, moral alignment. So yeah, it's gonna be gonna be interesting. I would definitely be uh, watching what happens to Claude. Hmm. It's cool. I didn't know there was that significant difference in the the model makeup. They use two models. They they um, it's called constitutional AI. They build a model which is um, trained by people, supervised, and that model isn't the big model. Isn't the one we're actually going to use in the end. It's just the model which which could sort of moderates the um, the unsupervised learning from the big model, and so they they build into it these principles. Uh, about being helpful, um, not not just being uh, nice or moral or anything else, but but being helpful. You know, like does does the answer you gave actually help the person who asked the question? Not uh, is it offensive or anything else. So they're they're sort of building these principles into the supervised part of the system, and then when they train the large language model, which turns into Claude, they use the the, the first model to basically audit the second model. And they're, they're sort of both aware of the principles um, along the way. That's super cool. So less, less reliance on people. Uh, you know, paid minimum wage in third world countries, uh, having to moderate, you know, terribly offensive and horribly violent in graphic images and things. Um, they, they build the system that does that for them. Hmm. So we'll see. See if it works, but it looks interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it'd be interesting to see everyone get their own LLM. I'm wondering which one Oracle's going to buy. Yeah, they're going to buy one too, and I think they're just admitting from Amazon that they're a little bit behind in AI, and they like to be not as behind. So by partnering with Claude, I think it gets them something unique. Like you said, the model's a little different, uh, and it gives them something that they can now, you know, point to their customers and say, "Hey, we're just like Amazon or Microsoft. We, uh, you know, we have our own LLM vendor we're using and have a minor investment in." Well, and it's a, such a windfall for Anthropic, right? It's expensive as these things are to to run and train and everything like they'll be able to get, you know, a much better support price partnering with Amazon. So do you think it's an actual cash investment or do you think it's, Hey, we'll give you $4 billion in Amazon credits. <laughs> you know, I think either one. Yeah. It might in be exchange for exchange for 8% of your company. We'll give you $4 billion in credits. Thanks. <laughs> Probably only on spot instances though. Yeah, only on spot instances. <laughs> In Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, EKS is now supporting Kubernetes 1.28. Uh, and so this means now we're going to talk about Kubernetes 1.28 because uh, as soon as Amazon supports it, it must be real, even though it's been out from <laughs> all the other cloud providers for at least a month now. 
Uh, the new things in Kubernetes 1.28 uh, that you can now get in the cloud version. Uh, there's a new lenient version compatibility policy for its core components, which expands the supported SKU, which means r- which versions they support between the Kubernetes API and the Kubelet APIs, uh, allowing you to upgrade in a different sequence, uh, keep your worker nodes a little bit further behind or more up to date uh, from your control plane and your Kubelet management, which uh, could be handy in many use cases. There's new stateful workload enhancements uh, are stable now in 1.28, so I can now run SQL Server on EKS if I wanted to. I won't do it, but I could. (laughs) (laughs) Advanced topology management and fine-tuned pod placement has reached beta status. Uh, So if you want to be really finicky about micromanaging where your pods get placed in your cluster, you will soon be able to do that at massive scale, which you'll have to build a whole other uh, orchestration layer for to manage. So good luck to all of you. And if you mm-hmm. are using the P2 instances on AWS, I'm sorry, those have been deprecated in 1.28. You'll have to find the new P3 instances or one of the other many instance families that Amazon has for your enjoyment. Yeah, so the, the micromanage pod placement is it's interesting because it's it's one of those features that like I understand the request for it and I hate it, right? It's, but it's traditional places that are controlling, you know, uh, things via, you know, network firewall policies and access controls at the OS level. And then you want to run an important workload, you know, like you get certain bits with no groups and the ability here, but being able to micromanage the, the pod placement and stuff is necessary for those environments, unfortunately. It's a thing that I feel like you would never want to do, Ryan, but then you would also do it begrudgingly and be kind of happy mm-hmm. that there's this control plane for you to do it. But I can see both sides. Yeah, I'd be forced to, <laughs> and I'd be super stoked. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You've nailed it. Like, I don't want to do this, but at least it's easy. <laughs> oh, come be in version 1.29. <laughs> AI manages that for you. <laughs> Sweet. No one's added AI to Kubernetes yet. Maybe they, that's, I mean, other than I guess GitHub Copilot and all the other coder helpers can now be right to uh, Kubernetes scaffolding, I guess. But uh, yeah, can someone write an AI that'll manage Kubernetes or is that just a, a bridge too far? It might be. For AI. His name's Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then the question is, do you run it on your Kubernetes cluster to let itself manage itself? No. No. <laughs> now you've done it. No. Now, now that's Skynet level territory. That's Don't just... hold up the mirror to the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that, <laughs> Kubernetes might be why the AI would actually want to get smart enough to kill us all. That might that might be the that might be the, yeah. the thing that does yeah. it. That'll kill us all. You develop sure. this thing. Yeah, that can be the threat that we we control AI with. If if you don't mm-hmm. behave, we'll put you on Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think yeah, I think the um the pod placement thing is is pr- probably the most interesting feature because there's so many reasons why you might want smarter placement of things so you could have one service which is heavy on io but not on cpu and um having awareness of what each task is doing is going to be super useful for optimizing costs in big clusters yeah i mean there's there's definitely enhancements for stateful workloads as well you know attached storage and the overhead there like it's you know a lot of the stuff is built in and and done in other ways but there's there's always operational trade-offs and so like i can see where Maybe they have, you know, a specific configuration in somewhere in the, the Kubernetes cluster that we can bunch all these together and get some advantage there. So it's, I mean, it's nice to have the knobs. It's really, really the idea of it. And how aggressively you use the knobs is, is the key, right, to running a good Kubernetes service. You just remember to cuddle it with your cube cuddle. Yeah. I'll, I'll be fine. So, still not okay with that. 
Maybe things aren't going so well for Andy Jassy this week. Uh, the FTC and 17 states have filed lawsuits allegating uh, or allegations that they're inflating online prices and overcharging their sellers, which is hurting consumers. Uh, this is apparently started with a year-long investigation by the FTC. I actually think it's longer than that. I believe Trump started some investigations into Amazon when he was still in office. So I think it's more than a year, but that's what the article said. The suit alleges the company is anti-competitive through measures that deter sellers from offering lower prices for products on non-Amazon sites. And while this is primarily focused on e-commerce, it could have a big impact to us here on the cloud side because one of the uh, you know findings could be that either they need to pay a really big fine or they might need to break up the company, which would mean Amazon Web Services may end up as its own company or sold to another company, which would be pretty huge news in the cloud space. Uh, to win the case, the Justice Department has to prove that Amazon is a monopoly in specific markets, which they're arguing online support, uh, online superstore market and the online marketplace services market are the two they're monopolies in. And that Amazon has used a monopoly to harm consumers and competitors by allegedly employing exclusionary anti-discounting conduct for artificially boosting price and its rules for sellers to coerce them into using its fulfillment services over alternatives. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. We probably won't talk about it too much here on the Cloud Pod unless... Uh, Something comes up Amazon Web Services related, but uh, you know definitely something to keep an eye on. As uh, it'll probably get you know find them to be guilty in the first case, and then in the uh, appeal, it'll be turned over, and then it'll go to the Supreme Court. And who knows what'll happen after that? Maybe we'll have uh, AWS as its own company. We'll see. <laughs> Proving monopoly is hard. I know from my basic criminal studies, like it's it's a it's a hard hard burden to prove, and so it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I think the latter. Um, you know, in terms of the consumers and the compet- competition prices, is there's data sets probably if they've done that, it's pretty easy to demonstrate. So we'll see. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I like I, I like what Amazon do. I like Amazon Web Services. I I really want them to be, uh, you know, a moral and ethical company. But there's so many examples of of times when they've clearly manipulated the markets, and they they've discounted products to the point that they put their competitors out of business, and then surprise surprise, they put the prices back up again once. Uh, that was like diapers.com or something like that. You know, the baby baby supply stuff that I think uh, sort of affected me with my son around that time when when that service shut down because of Amazon. Um, some weird some weird things going on. You know, fulfillment by Amazon, uh, they get to set the price of shipping, and so you get to set the price of your product. But the but the price of the consumer is the, is the combination of those two things, and so there are questions around whether or not they're manipulating the, the, the true cost of shipping versus the, the cost of shipping that they pass on to artificially inflate the cost of people selling competing products as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit disappointing. Um, I, I hope they don't get, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind the market, the, 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 Amazon, the, the Amazon products being split off from the marketplace and Amazon Web Services, and those can be separate entities, but I don't think it'll do anyone any good to split off AWS from the rest of the business completely. Yeah, on the storefront, I know a long time ago, I remember reading some articles about their private label, like their Amazon label stuff, like, you know, being anti-competitive, like they just came in at such a low price to get everyone off and like you said, raised it. So I'm curious to see where this ends up and how many years it'll be before this finally gets solved. All right, let's move on to GCP. Uh, Apparently they are Getting into the LLM game, like OpenAI and uh, GPT-4, or this uh, Amazon uh, Claude situation. And their new model is going to be called Gemini. 
because they like to steal names from NASA. The Gemini AI model uh, will be compromised with a set of large language models, which can empower everything from chatbots to features that summarize text to generate original text, such as email drafts, song lyrics, news articles based on descriptions uh, of what users want to read. The stakes are high for this model to be competitive with OpenAI GPT models, and the model will end up powering everything AI at Google, including Bard, Duet products, and future AI to power innovations. Uh, from someone who allegedly tested Gemini, it has one big advantage over GPT-4, and that is it leverages Google's proprietary data from its consumer products, uh, YouTube, in addition to public information on the web. As a result, the model should be especially accurate when it comes to understanding user intention with particular queries, and it appears to generate fewer incorrect answers. Uh, in addition, Gemini will be available to you through the Google Cloud Vertex products, enabling you to take advantage of this in all of your custom uh, AI projects for your companies. Yeah, in comparison, the, the if the rumors are true about Gemini, the the size of the model is absolutely enormous compared with anything that OpenAI has done. I think their ChatGPT GPT four model is like 130 billion parameters, and uh, I believe the rumor for the Google uh, Gemini is somewhere between you know it's more, greater than a trillion parameters, and so wow. there's a lot of money gone into training that. And uh, if it's true, then that's it's going to blow everything else out of the water. Might also blow us out of the water in bills too, <laughs> using a, <laughs> using a trillion. Uh, you know, looking at the pricing for things like uh, I think it was Llama two and their different variations of the sizing. Like those things get expensive the more uh, inputs you have for it. And even like yeah. GPT four is really going the other way where they're trying to give you higher accuracy models with less data points. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, all these providers are going to have to like actually try to make money off of these things instead of you know trying to build out the data sets by offering it for free. Like, and it's going to, it's going to be a very interesting change. Like I know there's business agreements that are going in now to incorporate it into products, but I think at least the vast majority of usage I see is still, you know, through some of the low cost or free, free sources. And it'd be interesting to see if, you know, humans just turn out to be cheaper in the end. <laughs> That's what saves us. <laughs> yeah. I think that continues to, to provide free services. And I, I, uh, I have paid for API access to um, OpenAI's models because I wanted to play with them. And I've, you know, I've paid for some other services as well. But I mean, I guess that this infrastructure is just going to be sitting there running and they're not going to tear it down and up again. It's not, they're not going to auto-scale this, this kind of service. And so they, they can give away the free capacity you know, and chalk it up to marketing. And then everyone else gets high priority to run, uh, sure. run queries. But well, I mean, I, I just think the, the model that Google's already taken is so interesting because you know we use uh, google docs for the you know the show and that's how we take our notes and all that stuff and we've had bard access now for months <laughs> months and months and months we use it for show notes quite often now in fact uh when there's something so boring i can't read it myself without summarizing <laughs> something uh and it you know it does a pretty good job but um you know it, it's sort of interesting because that's all free it just came with my Google workspaces account I, I pay i think nine bucks a user a month for workspaces it's not very expensive uh, but it's even in the open source, you know, it's even in the public version of Gmail and Gmail Docs. Uh, and then, you know, when you think about going to Office 65 and using Copilot there, they want to charge you a lot of money for that thing. I've seen some quotes. It's crazy expensive. And I, I you know, I sort of wonder if like Microsoft's kind of going to the thing of like, we can make all this extra money with AI and like the reality is they're going to hit a brick wall because everyone else is giving away for free. Yeah, it'll just be undercut. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how that uh, works out for them. Yeah, I haven't tested the, the new uh, Meta coding model yet that's on my list of things to do in the next couple of weeks uh i want to actually try the duet version because i i was hearing some anecdotes that the duet code uh, assistant is actually better than github copilot 
Um, so I would actually be intrigued by that. So I would like to check that out. So it's probably my next one to try out. But I, the Facebook one's interesting too. I just don't know if I can leverage that as a service or if I run my own mo- inferential models for that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay <laughs> that kind of money. Well, yeah, we should do like a, a do a thing uh, section on it. Like we should pick a pick an app we want to build, just a simple thing, and then kind of run through the process of of trying to get that to work with the GPT. 3.5 or 4 and then the the meta model and the maybe copilot as well and see yeah. and see like really how good are they and how much how much extra effort do we have to put in and what's the outputs like that'd be that'd be a decent comparison yeah that'd be fun and we'll uh, maybe talk about that offline and come up with a plan yeah have you been waiting months and months to hire your new aws gcp or architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar initiative stalled because you're having trouble hiring Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. Well, uh, Gartner is back with a new Magic Quadrant and this one is for container management. Uh, which I don't really know why they don't just call this the magic quadrant for Kubernetes, because uh-huh. that's really all we're talking about now in container management. There's only one. Everyone else died a horrible death. Uh, but uh, could you guys p- perhaps guess who might be at the top of the magic quadrant for container management, a.k.a. Kubernetes? Hmm. Who could it be? I mean, other than that's in the topic section of the company it's in. But other than that, <laughs> uh, yes, Google is in the top right position. Uh, although technically Microsoft is a little bit further to the right than them, they just don't have the ability to execute on their vision. But apparently, their Gardner says their uh, their breadth of vision is a little bit better than Google's. But I don't know if I believe that because I've looked at Anthos, I've looked at you know all these different technologies from AKS and such. I I still think Anthos and what Google's doing is probably the leading edge of this stuff. I, I don't know that I agree with Gardner on this one. Uh, but as the top right person, uh, they do get, of course, strengths and weaknesses in all these metric quadrants. And there's a bunch of other companies in there, including Oracle uh, and a bunch of other companies I don't care about that are in the quadrant that you can go read about what their opinion is. VMware was in there. I sort of scanned through that and said, yep, that's exactly what I think. So it makes sense, <laughs> but you can go read that yourself. Uh, as if you go to the Google article in our show notes, uh, they have this link to you complimentary. So you don't have to pay Gartner's bajillions of dollars to get access to it. But let's talk about Google. Uh, their strengths are they have a differentiated portfolio. Uh, of multiple services. They influence the Kubernetes community because they created it. <laughs> <laughs> the simplicity is apparently a strength. Uh, they tend to address requirements with fewer services uh, versus adding new ones, which is nice. Uh, but they do caution that their edge and on-premises capabilities are not as well adopted as the competitors. Uh, they're not as great at traditional enterprise systems, which is they're saying also the complaint they have against Google in any magic quadrant. And uh, the managed service ecosystem lags far behind others. Uh, moving on to Amazon, uh, their strengths were integrating with AWS and its ecosystem, duh. The customer base, of course, being extensive, and they have ECS and EKS for containers. Uh, the serverless portfolio, they said, was a huge win, especially since it's built on top of a lot of container technology. 
But they do caution that multi-cloud uh, is sort of limited to just EKS and ECS. Uh, solution navigation is hard to find, and Kubernetes cluster fleet management uh, is not necessarily best a breed in concern of tools, even though they wrote the best practices guide. <laughs> and then Microsoft strengths uh, the DevOps platform of Azure DevOps, which is definitely its probably biggest advantage. The hybrid cloud uh, with Azure Stack, HCI, and Azure Arc. Uh, integration with Azure is the strongest uh, and security center capabilities. Uh, but they do caution that resiliency is a problem. Huh, amazing that. Outages on Azure? Huh, surprised security wasn't mentioned too. And then heterogeneous environment support, uh, being that they don't have as much capability to support things beyond Windows. And then certified container images they lack uh, available to you. Although, I don't know how much I care about certified container images unless they're specially tuned to the cloud provider anyways. So what do you guys think? I feel like some of this is also just like the general positive and negatives of each of the cloud providers. Like, I kind of wish these were even like more targeted and get like specifically at the container platform, but just saying like resiliency of Azure or like AWS, I'm trying to find the exact one I was thinking of, like the solution, like there's too many solutions, like uh, possible solutions. Like these are just general comments about the cloud providers. Like these are to me, like specifically targeted the container solutions. So have you ever talked to a Gardner analyst? <laughs> luckily, no. Maybe in the future I will. No, well, luckily in the future you won't ever. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're nice people, but um, they are not very technical. And they take very, very, very broad generalizations. Uh, and so I actually don't really care for a lot of Gartner stuff. Uh, you know, we, we have subscriptions at the day job and, you know, I can I have access to their content. But, like, they always want to get on a call and tell you about what they're seeing in their customer base. So when you get on those calls, it's always just like, yeah, I could read this on the Internet or on Twitter. Like, I, don't, I didn't need you to tell me these things. Uh, and if you really want an analyst to tell you what's going on, Redmonk is my preferred uh, company to go check out as they typically are very technical and talking to them at a conference a few times, different analysts from Redmonk. Uh, I'm always impressed how technical they are, which is not what you will say after meeting a gardener analyst or a forester analyst. Uh, and so I do, uh, yeah, you have a different perception once you get into the world of Gartner and Forrester and, and actually talk to the people who do these reports, you, you'll understand why it's as broad and big as it is. But you know, a lot of companies can only be successful by being in the top right of the magic quadrant. Uh, and you don't get fired if you choose the company in the top right of the magic quadrant. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, the thing that bugs me about it is it's not it's not evidence based. They're not going off doing their own research. It's basically they're polling customers based on their interactions with those products in the different um, in the different clouds. And so I, I think they're missing perhaps uh, some insight into into sort of some objectivity, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they've talked to the customers who pay them money. And so if you're not a company who can pay the money, they don't talk to you. And so you don't get your perspective. And so it is a bit biased. I went to Red Monk's website and I lost my notes. There we are. Okay, there. <laughs> <laughs> I might have done the same thing. And now I was looking at the programming ranking, which is popularity ranking on Stack Overflow versus popularity ranking of, Git, of GitHub. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's actually chart. a pretty good report they do every year, kind of talk about the languages and, and how they're tracking over, over popularity. And the more interesting thing is like the languages you think are dead that are still on the list, you're like, oh, Emacs Lisp. That's really high up on that chart. I'm kind of shocked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Puppet, you know, is another one that kind of jumps out at me. Just, just looking at it right now. But yeah, uh, quite interesting. Uh, and they do this every year too. So it's, it's, one, it's a fun one to track over time. 
All right, moving to AI, uh, Azure. And uh, of course, the first topic is going to be AI because it's Azure. And that's all they talk about these days. <laughs> uh, but Microsoft is finally just uh, agreeing that everything is going to be called Copilot. Uh, your Copilot, your everyday AI companion is the tagline. Copilot will uniquely incorporate the context intelligence of the web, your work data, and what you're doing in the moment on your PC to provide better assistance, their privacy and security at the forefront. Copilot will roll out as part of Windows 11 on September 26th. Uh, as long uh, as well as Bing, Edge, and all Microsoft 365 products this fall, if you're willing to pay them the outrageous money we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, having set up my new phone, I do hope they bring AI to Outlook signatures and just like sync them <laughs> between devices. I mean, I'm like it's not a big ass for me. Like that's if that's the one AI feature they gave me, uh, I would be happy with it. Because uh, you know, second my new iPhone, I had to send an email. It's like send from Outlook because <laughs> it's stupid. But uh, there you go. Uh, Windows 11 users are excited to know that you'll get AI in Paint for those of you who still use Paint regularly. Uh, you also get it in Photos, Snipping Tool, Clipchamp, Notepad, Outlook for Windows, Modernized File Explorer, New Voice Access for Text Authoring, and a new Natural Voice Narrator. And Windows Backup will come with AI, which I would never trust Windows Backup, so that's cute. But uh, there you go. That's uh, officially now all AI products from Microsoft are called Copilot something, and to make it just even more confusing. I wonder why they they killed off the Cortana Cortana brand actually because they they finally kind of like killed it off last month I think mm-hmm. although it's been dying for a while because they wanted to rebrand it to Copilot that's why yeah but Cortana has a like at least has a personality and a, and a name not <laughs> it would have been a much better move it's just the problem is is that Microsoft is appealing to big businesses and maybe they didn't play Halo I don't know. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's no different than Alexa or other things. I thought when when they made the assistant's <laughs> name Cortana, I was like, uh, that almost made me switch by itself. Um, yeah, and then I used and yeah. then I used it and I did I backed that off. But <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm a big Halo fan, so I definitely also <laughs> love Cortana yeah. as a concept, and so I was excited about that too. But yeah, it was never very good. It, it's sort of a series long lost cousin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it is disappointing that they're not uh, using that. I think you know, taking the technology and really making something with it. But maybe, maybe the market research, you know, they had already sort of ruined the reputation. I don't know. I don't know either. That's what I kind of feel like is people just had a bad taste in their mouth with it. Yeah. So we had Amazon still going ahead with with Alexa, and even talking about trying to monetize Alexa in the future with monthly subscriptions and things. Once they add extra functionality to it, at least. They're not, they're not rebranding. I mean, as long as the features make sense, then it'd be nice. Yeah. I'm waiting to try to have to search for, like, how do I disable Copilot on my MS Paint? <laughs> you have to ask really nicely. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, ask Copilot how to disable Copilot. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always amazed when I see people post something they built in Paint and it's, like, beautiful and you're like, I don't know how you did that. Right. Uh, so if like AI can make paint good for me, like I'm not, I don't know that I'll turn that off. I'm kind of into it if it can make pretty pictures like that. So I, I definitely can't on my own. Okay, Windows backup. Yeah. Now <laughs> we don't need to paint something anymore because you just ask the AI to, to build it for us. Now they enhance paint. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Now we now we get it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I love the notepad. The notepad edition on that one though was sort of laugh made me laugh a little bit. What was it? Uh, Oh, it was like auto save and reopen and sync across 
devices. Yeah. Automatically saving your session state, allowing you to close notepad without any interrupting dialogues that pick up where you left off when you return. That doesn't require AI folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's common sense, not artificial intelligence. It, yeah. <laughs> Just having multiple tabs would be nice, you know? <laughs> well, they have that too. Yeah. And no, notepad will automatically restore previously open tabs as well as unsaved content edits across those open tabs. Wonderful. I think Notepad plus plus did that like oh forever ago. At least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my Mac Note program has done it forever. Like my even even Visual Studio Code has done it forever, and that's their product. They do so like why it's coming to Notepad now? It's just sort of silly. Like it, you're really dragging the bottom of the barrel. Like what can we say is AI Notepad? Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, I want. I mean, I, I do look forward to AI reading all my emails, uh, selling all my personal data, but then also just building the to-do list of things that I actually have to read versus me having to go through my inbox. I think Google's already doing that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, but you're on Yahoo Mail. That's the problem. All your stuff's already indexed. And it's Yahoo stuff's probably being indexed too. So, Oh, it totally yeah. is. All right. Well, Azure is also announcing the public preview of HD Insight on uh, Azure Kubernetes Service, their cloud-native open-source big data service completing, completely re-architected on Kubernetes with two new workloads and numerous improvements across the stack. HD Insight on AKS includes Apache Spark, Flink, and Trino on Azure Kubernetes and integrated deeply with popular Azure analytics services like Power BI, Azure Data Factory, and Azure Monitor. I think I didn't know that Microsoft owned Power BI until right now. How did you not know they they didn't own Power BI? It's in all of our office products. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it seems obvious in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, as long as you admit that, I'm okay. With yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that's cool that they're you know automatically integrating that because you know one of the things that you do with you know Spark, Flink, and Trino is is aggregate data, and so having that display option is pretty cool. Um, you know, I think the the Kubernetes aspect is probably an implementation detail that I don't know. Maybe customers care or need, but I so the one thing I I don't know how we missed as a podcast, which I'm disappointed in all of us that Matt didn't save us on this, is that they named their data lake product One Lake. Oh wow! Yeah, and then they also have another product called One River, which is a complementary to One Lake. Uh, and I'm really disappointed that we didn't know what that was until just recently. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny to say you've got two one lakes. Because <laughs> you know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah the whole yeah. point is that you <laughs> don't did? need two one lakes because it's, yeah. it's one lake to rule them all. And if you do, mm-hmm. you need, then you get a one river to go with your one lake. And then that's all you get. Yeah, like digital. That's this all. is all in the fabric solution. I haven't... Yeah, it's all part of the data fabric. Yeah, I have, to, I have to like fully understand that whole solution. I haven't quite got there yet. Like... I don't know. I think it's their like solution that kind of like can sum all the pieces together for you, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's basically it's, it's one, you know, the one lake has a bunch of data partitioning based on workspaces. So you can basically compartmentalize your one lake into different workspace areas. And then, yeah, you tie it into lake house and much other things that they've got uh, to do computational analysis with spark and KSQL and all those things. Uh, I got a little bit of a demo of it earlier this week. It is a really interesting idea. Um, I just don't know that I would want to do it inside of Microsoft. <laughs> could you could you make this a multi-cloud solution that I can use on any cloud? Then maybe I'd be interested mm-hmm. in your one lake solution, but uh, Microsoft's not quite that far through their thinking yet. Well, and where does it differentiate? Yeah. Data is a little bit too easy to get in and out, especially out of, uh, of Azure. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know. I think Matt would disagree with you. It's hard to get out <laughs> once you're in. Yeah. Oh, there's some Chinese hackers that would disagree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah. <laughs> See, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, I have some Oracle news because uh, Oracle World 2023 happened in Las Vegas. Uh, and first up, they announced a Graal OS uh, to power their cloud native runtime technologies, particularly functions initially. OCI functions with Graal OS can enable serverless functions to launch in seconds and use up to 50% less memory for most workloads as compared to traditional functions, which is all really great and fun until you learn that, oh, it's yeah. only, let me do it to yeah. Of course lies, it is. Lies. Yeah. <laughs> lies. Lies. Yeah. And then you, as you further go into this article, it's like, oh, GraalOS is faster, more efficient cloud runtime. It uses the latest processor architecture to deliver higher performance using fewer resources with its native image ahead of time compilation technology. Build an application to a standalone, standalone native machine executable, which includes only the code required for runtime processing and excludes all of your unused classes, methods, and files. So you're basically just, you took my Java code and you made it less big and fat. Thanks. And now you run it faster. You fixed all the problems inherent with the Java programming language. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So they, they say this is going to come to other languages. I think AWS also had something similar to this where they, they did a, a faster cold start problem. And it was like, it only oh, works yeah. with Java initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen them extend that to beyond Java, I don't think. And I don't nope. think Oracle will ever extend this either. That, I haven't heard about it. But in, yeah, they did that in Lambda. So the, the Java runtime. Yeah. Um, and it's just because like there's so many inefficiencies in java and there's so much that's still written in java that you know it does make sense to tackle it as a as sort of a the first step but i can't take advantage of it because i I don't write java anymore or you know why would you why why did you ever write java minecraft minecraft Minecraft, yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) fair enough i tried not to write it it amazes me it just amazes me how much is still written in java when we when we do that AI thing later on, can I choose not Java? We can definitely choose not Java. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it for Python personally, but maybe it would be more fun to do something in a language that we're not familiar with. That actually might be we that might be keep... interesting because I was thinking maybe I could do Ruby, but then you just maybe I should go do like Rust because I don't know it. But All right, that'd be yeah. I suppose that's true. Like it, that's the whole point of these things. Yeah, supposed to make my life easier. So why not? All right, that sounds good. I feel like then we have to compare what Justin does and what Peter does and compare the Ruby oh, code. Oh, my Ruby code is going to be better than Peter's, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. He's told me some of the things he's done before in Ruby, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's awkward. <laughs> uh, all right. And then our last story of the week, Oracle's revenue comes up short. Uh, and its stock slides, sad. Oracle missed expectations and provided lower revenue guidance, resulting in their stock sliding in price. Income for the first quarter was $2.42 billion, up from $1.55 billion a year, and yet still penalized. Earnings before costs such as stock comp were $1.19 per share, ahead of the $1.15 expected by analysts. However, profitability coming in at just $12.45 billion versus the expected $12.47 billion. So yes, 8% stock hit for that. Thank you. Uh, Oracle, though, did also lower guidance, which probably also impacted their stock pretty negatively, too, saying that they were going to have to lower guidance for the rest of the year, and second quarter would not be at their expectations. Uh, despite other issues, cloud was a bright spot with cloud infrastructure being up to 1.5 billion, up 66% from the year earlier. And uh, the CEO pointed out that that is the fastest growing cloud provider of all of them, although it is slower than they were <laughs> a quarter ago when they were 76%. So careful what you say, because those words will be removed. And so yeah. that is Oracle's earnings, which we don't do in our earnings segment because they do it 
way later than everybody else. Yeah. Because apparently closing their books is hard, even though they own the ERP. (laughs) 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 You have to put a pin in the calendar for for next quarter when uh, they beat their low guidance. And then they get penalized for for not actually (laughs) predicting that. We were over our guidance by you know two hundred thousand, so we got destroyed by twelve percent. Yeah, I love the stock market. That's my favorite favorite thing. I don't really understand. So, goat farmer, indeed. Yeah, gonna go off and be a goat farmer. Well, that is it for another fantastic week here in the cloud. I'll see you three next week. We cover whatever other great news comes. But I'm sure it's AI related. I can already tell yes, you. Yes, it, it has to be AI related. Yeah. See you later. Bye, everybody. Hey. And that is the Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions. Mm-hmm.